You're listening to a message from Canby Foursquare Church in Canby, Oregon. We pray that this message will be an encouragement to you. Visit canbyfoursquare.com to learn more. Thank you, Shannon and Hudson, and good morning again. Good morning again. (laughs) It is so good to see you. It really is. I'm so thankful that we get together. We're able to spend time like this. I mentioned earlier that uh, yesterday evening, we just had a blast. We invited the whole community in, and, and they showed up, and we had this great big Easter egg hunt, and we ate hot dogs, and we had fun. And that's really what this is all about, and I hope you know you can have fun here. We can do that. And it was exciting. We were so blessed. We were so blessed by the uh, community. We were blessed by those that served us. And uh, again, it's so good, really, to, to be together with you today. Well, I'm going to start out this message with a question. When you came this morning, you were probably thinking, I hope I don't have to take a test. But I'm going to give you a little one today. How many here are the on-time kind of people. I mean, you hate to be late. Just lift up your hand, okay? All right, all right. The rest of you are not on-time people, I'm guessing, huh? That's what I'm thinking. And, and, and for those on-time kinds of people, you hate it when others are late too. You take it personal, don't you? I mean, are you one of those people? See, less hands go up. I mean, less hands go up when we talk. Even if you're married to those people, even if you're married to them. We had this routine when our kids were growing up, we were getting ready to go somewhere and I would get the kids in the car and we would wait for mom. And we would wait and we would wait. There are three children in the back seat of my car and a rebellion is starting to rise up because they're asking me questions, where is mom? Why is she late? Why isn't she on time? And I'm thinking to myself the same thing. But now I'm her husband, so I've got to step up here. I've got to have something to say. Because when two are talking, it's an argument. When three start in, it is a gang mentality. And that was what was happening in the backseat of my car. And so what I said to them, I just turned around, looked them in the eyes, and I said, listen, whenever she gets here, she is on time. And what we would do for years, she didn't even know this, the door would open, we would all be in the car, and I would start to sing, there she is, Mrs. America. And they would all applaud and get excited. Yeah. You know, I can't tell you the times that I've wanted God to hurry up. I I can't tell you the times that I've wanted him to answer my prayer, to bail me out in the middle of my own mess. And, And with healing when I'm broken, God, come quickly. Has that ever crossed your mind that God somehow has forgotten about you? Or missed his cue to help you when you needed him the most? You know, these are, these are thoughts that I've had that have not only crossed my mind, but I hate to say this, they've lingered for a while. Especially in times and moments of desperation. Just crying out and saying, God, where are you? Why are you so late? Why aren't you here? And I suspect these are some of the same thoughts the followers of Jesus wrestled with on that first resurrection morning. And that's why I love the Gospel of John, chapter 20, so much. When you look at John, chapter 20, what you get is you get this close, intimate look at how a few disciples dealt with a God they thought had come and gone and had left them to deal with life's pain and struggle all on their own. 
I want you to look with me, if you would, just for a moment to John chapter 20. I've put it on the overhead, and we're going to read verses 1 through 9 together. And listen to what it says. <clears throat> it says this, beginning at verse 1. Early on the first day of the week, while it was still dark, Mary Magdalene went to the tomb and saw that the stone had been removed from the entrance. So she came running to Simon Peter and the other disciple, the one that Jesus loved, and said, They have taken the Lord out of the tomb, and we don't know where they put him. And so Peter and the other disciples started for the tomb. Both were running, but the other disciple outran Peter and reached the tomb first. He bent over and he, he looked in at the strips of linen lying there, but did not go in. And then Simon Peter, along behind him, he went straight into the tomb, and he saw the strips of linen lying there, as well as the cloth that had been wrapped around Jesus' head. The cloth was still lying in its place, separate from the linen. And finally, the other disciple who reached the tomb first also went inside. He saw and he believed. You see, they still did not understand from Scripture that Jesus had to raise from the dead. You see, the resurrection of Jesus Christ is this exclamation point. It's this heart-pounding victory shout from heaven. He did it. Jesus did it. He covered us. He has our back. Our sins are forgiven. That's what we see and know when we celebrate the resurrection. We've been given all the blessings and benefits of the cross, and that includes being kept safe from the enemies of our soul. And sometimes we are our worst enemy. But at first, this message was lost in the hearts and the minds of the followers of Jesus. It took a while for it to sink in. They didn't get it at first. They didn't understand it. They, they, they heard Jesus talk about the resurrection, but they just didn't understand. You see, the thoughts of the resurrection had crossed through their minds, but it, it hadn't gone deep into their souls. You know, on that morning, they could have gotten out of bed expecting to see a resurrected Lord, but they didn't. Instead, they woke up thinking that the one that they spent over three years with, the one that they had gotten close to, the one that they had spent time with, had just abandoned them, had just left them. That something had gone horribly wrong and God didn't show up. He wasn't on time. And that each follower was trying to process their loss, trying to process their pain the best way they knew how. You know, when I read this story out of John chapter 20, I know somewhere in this gospel narrative, you might find yourself. We're all in this story, each one of us. I know I am. I read through this, and that's probably why I love it so much. I find myself in different places and journeying with Jesus and my faith, and I read this story, and I say, there I am. I'm right there. That's me. That's the way that I process. So I guess the question is, where? Where in this story are you? How do you respond when you think there is no resurrection? When it seems impossible to find life beyond death. And there are a lot of kinds of deaths that we deal with. We deal with the death of good health. Some of us are dealing with the death of a dream or a vision. The death of prosperity. And maybe the most difficult 
is the death of relationships. So, so first, she deserves to be mentioned first, by the way, is Mary of Magdala, a follower of Jesus, who's mentioned in the Gospels more than most of the apostles. She had this sordid history. Some of us do. She was a prostitute who Jesus cast seven de- demons out of. And before Jesus, she had a, an emptiness that uh, her hungry soul went to any length to fill. She would do anything. She would go with anybody. She would be with anybody just so that emptiness would go away. You might imagine how she felt when she thought there was no resurrection. Because the, the one that had brought her God's love, unconditional love, wasn't there anymore. I want you to listen to what verses 10 and 11 say out of this chapter. It says, and then the disciples went back to where they were staying. And now Mary stood outside the tomb crying. She wept. She bent over to look into the tomb. This doesn't sound like somebody celebrating a resurrection. This sounds like somebody who has lost It says that she stood outside the tomb crying, and when we think there is no resurrection, we think God is late, we lose hope. Maybe you've been there before. You've experienced something like this. Mary had lost all hope. She thought it was over. The only mission she had that morning was to find the dead body of Jesus and honor him the best way she knew how. There was something tender. There was something kind about what Mary was doing here But there was another side, another side to this, the hopeless side. This was her admission that the life of Jesus was over and that her relationship with him had come to an end. And how tragic she had to feel, how broken she had to feel. Anointing his body was her way of saying the good days have ended. The good days are over. We had a good run, but it's it's all done now. So you do the only thing you can do when a loved one passes. You make arrangements for the funeral. You know, this is our way in sadness and grief saying there really is no tomorrow. This is what happens when we think that there is no resurrection. We lose hope in God and we lose hope in God's timing. Now, if you read down a little further in this gospel narrative, you're going to find a few other folks that are struggling with this same issue. I think about the group of people who thought there was no resurrection, and they clustered in an upper room in verse 19 of chapter 20. It says, And on the evening of that first day of the week, when the disciples were together with the doors locked for fear of the Jewish leaders... Jesus came and he stood among them and he said, peace be with you. Do you see that phrase there? You might not notice it at first, but it says, with the doors locked for fear of the Jewish leaders. Listen, when we can't see resurrected life after death, what happens is we lose courage. Mary, she lost hope. These men that gathered, they had lost their courage. And when people think there is no resurrection, do you know what happens? We become terrorized. Because we, we, we know and realize that we're left to our own devices, that no one's going to bail us out. 
that we're on our own, that we're to do this on our own. And what happens is fear sweeps in and fills those areas of our life and causes us to go to places that we wouldn't normally go. We run back to what we were used to and we lock doors. Here's a group of men hiding out. They're isolating themselves because they feel defenseless. They feel unprotected. And that's what we do when we're afraid, when we lose courage. You know, I, I used to read this story and to myself I would say, what a bunch of cowards. What a bunch of wimps. I, I would never, ever act like that. Those guys are a bunch of chickens. Until. Until I met my match. And I faced something bigger and stronger than myself. I find myself locking my doors. The doors of my heart. Not wanting conversations. Not wanting to be exposed. But just to huddle in a dark place. Because I was afraid. It's a terrible moment when all of life becomes unsteady and everything shifts. When you were once on top of the mountain and now you're at the bottom looking up. We realize that our courage, our human courage alone, won't get us through it. Won't get us out. We need a resurrection. You know, I don't mock these disciples anymore. I don't. I, I don't make fun of them anymore. In fact, I have great empathy for behind locked doors kind of people now because I've been one of them. I've been in the the ranks of people who close the door of their hearts. If you go a little further, you find one other disciple here, interesting fellow. It's a story that you think might be over, but it's not over yet. There's one last disciple we need to talk about He he wasn't at the tomb with Mary. He wasn't in this room huddled in fear with the others. We aren't sure exactly where he wandered off to. The Bible doesn't tell us. Maybe he thought because God was late, he'd be late too, you know. Just kind of stick it to God right there. So if you're not going to show up, I'm not going to show up. We're just not sure. What is sure is a whole week went by before Thomas showed up, but what didn't show up with him was his faith. He didn't seem to be one who lost hope or courage. He was one who lost faith. In verse 25, this disciple meets Jesus but has some serious doubts to whether he is the resurrected Lord. He says this, so the other disciples told him, we have seen the Lord. Don't you just hate it when other people are excited and you're not? We have seen the Lord. We're so excited. But he said to them, unless I see the nail marks in his hands and I put my finger where the nails were and I put my hand into his side, I will not believe. I refuse to believe. What he's saying here is he's saying, listen, I've had plenty of time to think about this. You know, I've taken a week off of this discipleship thing, taken a little vacation, went for a little walk, and unless I can see and touch his wounds, I will not believe. You see, Thomas was looking at life underneath a collapsed faith. 
His faith had, had caved in on him. And I, I think it probably didn't happen all of a sudden. I don't think it does happen all of a sudden. I, I think it's just kind of a, a thing that you stop doing one thing like devotions or you stop maybe reading God's word. You stop hanging out with people who believe in Jesus. And over time, you recognize that you're on the down looking up. But your faith is just caved in. And you wonder, what in the world happened? My faith has collapsed. I think Thomas was kind of a, a thinker. He was processing things. That seems obvious. You know what? He knew when it's over, it's over. <laughs> it's time to throw in the towel. I mean, you know, when you stop breathing, you stop breathing. Jesus is dead. I've often wondered if he wondered... <laughs> Am I the only logical one here in this group? You know, am I, am, I, am I the only sane disciple that actually sees what's going on here and understands it logically and scientifically that when the air goes out of your lungs, you are dead? I wonder if that's the way Thomas was processing life and the absence of a resurrection, recognizing that God might be late. So I'm not, I'm not sure really where you are in this story. I know when I go over this story, I think there are some times, man, I'm Thomas. <laughs> I've just lost my faith. There's sometimes I look at it and I think, man, I am scared to death. My knees are knocking. I've lost courage. And there's other times that I feel like Mary. I'm thinking I don't know if I can really hope for this situation. I don't know if I can even hope for myself. So, so I'm not sure where you might be today. But there are a few things I would like you to know about resurrections before you walk out this door. Before you leave this morning, it's good to know what resurrections are all about. And here's one, and you can count on this. You can take this one to the bank. Resurrections never happen the way we think they should. That's for sure. I mean, you look at verse 15 and 16, and here's a woman, Mary, he asked her that he is Jesus. Woman, why are you crying? Who is it that you're looking for? Now listen to this. Thinking that he was the gardener, she said, Sir, if you've carried him away, tell me where you've put him and I'll go get him. And Jesus said to her one word, Mary. She turned toward him and she cried out in Aramaic, Rabbani, which means teacher. You know, for Mary, Jesus shows up in her eyes as an unassuming, humble, salt-of-the-earth gardener. Isn't that kind of interesting? One of the greatest days, the greatest day the planet has ever experienced, she sees the resurrected Lord as a gardener. Because in our minds, when we think of resurrection, we, we picture a lot more pizzazz than this. I mean, a lot more action, a lot more lightning bolts, a lot more earth-shaking and all kinds of things happening here. And, and I know this. I, I, I think about this. I'm sure all of that happened, but no human eye saw it happen. Why? I think I know the answer. Because we couldn't handle it. 
I mean, even if you were there and you saw it and it didn't kill you, it certainly blind you. Why? The reason why is we're talking about a power unparalleled in the universe, a power that created the universe. This was a moment, an intimate moment, a reunion between a father and the son. The son forsaken for hours. Now they have this moment where life collides with death and life wins. And it happens between the two. And the father says, as he said before, this is my beloved son, arise. And once that what was death is now life, once what was gone is now here alive. God raised him from the dead freeing him from the agony of death because it was impossible for death to keep its hold on him. Now listen, like like Mary, there have been many times the resurrected Jesus has shown up in my life more like a, a gardener and less like a knight in shining armor. Now because I'm so important, I want the knight in shining armor. Because whenever I get in trouble, that's the way that I think God should ride in. I mean, make himself known and let me know the answer to whatever it is I'm facing. That's the way that I want resurrection to show up in my life. But he showed up more like a gardener. Knowing precisely when to prune, when to let grow tending to the soil of my heart, making sure that it doesn't get overwhelmed with the cares of the world or too hard and rocky with pride, thinking, you know, I've got this. I got this thing called life, and I really don't. You know, most of the time when we've experienced resurrection, at least for me, it's when I've looked back and recognized that God showed up but he showed up like a gardener. A long time ago, Annette and I were on staff at another church in Portland, and we were headed to a Sunday morning service, and in the car, in the car, I heard, I heard God say to me, I'm going to bring a word of life to you today, a resurrected word. And I'm thinking to myself, this is going to be great. I don't hear God that often, not that way, and I'm thinking, I'm pretty, pretty excited. I mean, I can't wait to get to church, like a lot of you. And we get to church, and we were in the back room like we do here, and we were praying, and we just happened that Sunday to have a world-renowned speaker there. And I thought to myself, well, if God's going to bring a resurrected word to me today, it's going to be through that world-renowned speaker. I'm positive. That's how good I am. That's how important I am. So we got done praying, and I saw the the, the man look at me, and he smiled, and I said, here it comes, here it comes. And he smiled, and he walked out. Not a word. I thought, well, if he's not going to do it, certainly the pastor, you know, the pastor's the guy with the words. He's the one who speaks resurrected life. And so I'm looking at my pastor. He's looking at me. Felt a little awkward, you know, but I'm thinking, hey, come on, give me the word. And he looks at me and he does the same thing. He smiles and he exits the room. And I'm thinking, where are these important people in my life that are going to bring me this kind of word? I went through the whole service. 
just sat and waited and thought, well, maybe someone else, maybe an elder or a deacon. You know, I'm going down the list. Think they're going to bring something of, of life and resurrection to me and waited through the whole service and there was no word, not one word. And I normally don't do this. I n- normally don't linger in church very long. I just, like, get out. And I waited and I waited. And no word. So I thought, well, maybe I didn't hear God today. I got up with my wife. I walked out. And right when I put my hand on the exit door, I heard a voice behind me. And the voice was broken. It was weak. It was halting. And the voice called my name. The voice just said, Ron, God has a word for you today. And I turned around, and it was Billy. Billy's body was broken, cerebral palsy. He was bent over. And the moment he called my name, I knew I was hearing from God. And he showed up like a gardener. And my life changed. You see, resurrections never happen the way you think they should. So in the days to come, would you do this with me? Look around you and listen for your name. Because resurrection is coming. Resurrections can show up in some of the most unassuming ways and through some of the most unassuming people. So here's another thing about resurrections. Resurrections happen in the darkest places. Have you ever noticed that? I mean, graves and cemeteries and tombs, places we really don't like to hang out. These are the places that God does his greatest work. Not only in the darkest places, but during the darkest times. You see, the disciples huddled up in the corner covered with a cloud of fear. And this is what fear does. It shuts you in. It shuts you off from the rest of the world. And it wants to dictate your every move. It wants to question your boldness and your confidence. It wants to turn your life upside down in the wrong ways. It locks the doors of your heart. But when you let the resurrection in, that dark room is filled with light. Resurrected light. Think about it for just a moment. Maybe some of you didn't know this, but the room that these doors were locked, where fear prevailed, it was only 50 days later in that same room that something amazing happened. This amazing burst of God takes place where there was once fear, now there is fire. And when the day of Pentecost came, they were all together in one place, Suddenly a sound like the blowing of a violent wind came from heaven and filled the whole house where they were sitting. They saw what seemed to be tongues of fire that separated and came to rest on each one of them, parentheses, who used to be in fear. All of them were filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak in a tongue that the people on the streets understood as the Spirit enabled them to do so. 
What was once their cage is now their pulpit. Was once their prison is now their platform, their delivery system for the good news. He's risen. He is risen from the dead. And the gospel transforms lives. And that day, it not only hit the streets of Jerusalem, it went to all the world. And today we experience it because people who were once fearful dealt with their fear. Fire falls and their lives are changed, transformed. Wow! Wow, that's the story of the resurrection. The story of the resurrection is whatever fear cage you're in now, God can use that because he transforms you. And guess what your story is? I once was fearful, but now I'm full of the Holy Spirit, and that changed my life. I am transformed. What once was your cage is now your pulpit. Tell your story. Tell your story. It changes lives. And then, yeah, the last thing I'll say about resurrections today is this, that resurrections are for everyone. Put an exclamation that. And, and, and would you just whisper to yourself, that means me. Just go ahead right now, that means me. Say it. Good. Yeah, it's a good whisper. That means me. And the reason I, I say that to you, because sometimes when we hear the word everyone, it means everyone, but we exclude ourselves. Somehow we do that. I, I don't know what that is. Whether it's shame, what it might be in my life, but I exclude myself. I want to say this. I want to say this with great boldness. Not out of the boldness that I have on my own. The boldness of what I've experienced through the resurrection of Jesus Christ is this. Resurrections are for everyone, including you. Resurrections are for those who have lost hope like Mary. Life isn't turning out the way that she thought it would. Life isn't maybe turning out the way you thought it would. You had dreams. You had visions, and it's just not going that way. Or you've lost courage, and you've locked the doors of your heart, and you've said to yourself, in fact, you've made a promise to yourself, you've said, I will never let myself get hurt like that again, ever. The cage. Or you're here today and all this you know, business about hallelujah and celebration, it's difficult for you. Difficult because you're in a decaying faith. Because like Thomas, you, you feel like you're on the outside looking in. You, you've let yourself believe that you don't belong. But through the resurrection... Everyone is included. The Bible says all who call on the great name of our Lord Jesus Christ will experience salvation. Whether it's a loss of hope, a loss of courage, a loss of faith, wherever you are today, wherever you are in this story right now, let me encourage you to do this. Invite him and his resurrected life into your circumstances, whatever they may be. Let him breathe hope into your hopelessness, courage into your fear, and faith into your unbelief. He is never late. He is always on time, and he is risen. Amen. Bow your heads with me. Would you do that? This morning, I just want to invite you to... uh, to just experience Jesus in just a deeper way. That's really my prayer, my heart's desire. 
Yeah, I, I, and I know some of the struggles that come along with that. Maybe you are, you know, you're, you're a believer, you've accepted Jesus, you know Jesus, but today it's a, it's, it's a loss of hope you're dealing with or a loss of courage or a loss of faith. Whatever that might be for you, would you just open the doors of your heart and say, resurrected Jesus, come in and change me and transform me. And the word says he will absolutely do that for you. There might be some of us here that haven't come to that place where we've made that decision. You know where we've kind of crossed over, (laughs) heard all this stuff about Jesus, but haven't experienced Jesus, you know, personally. I want to invite you to experience Jesus personally today in your life, just personally. You're just tired of hearing about him. Do you want to experience him? So, so if you're here today with our heads bowed, our eyes closed, if you're here today and you want to experience Jesus Christ in your life personally, you want to know him personally, would you just, where you are, just lift your hand so I can see you. I'm not going to call you out. I'm not going to embarrass you. I just want you just to lift your hand. Good, good. Just look around, ushers, please. There's a bag. There's bags right here we want to give you. A little gift bag. There you go. Just a little. Once you get that, you can put that down. Thank you. You know what? You just come to this place, and thank you for your courage and your faith because that's what it takes. I don't want to miss anybody. There's some hands through here. If, ushers, if you can just kind of look around. If you can get your hands up a little higher, maybe that helps. Good. I don't want you to go away empty. I want you to go away full today in Jesus' name, full of his resurrected life, full of Jesus in your heart today. Thank you for lifting your hands. And I'm going to do one thing more, and we're going to all do it together because we want you to know that those that lifted their hands, you're not alone on this journey. I mean, you've made a decision, a personal decision to follow Jesus, but you are not alone on the journey there are others here that will walk with you and that little uh, little packet that we've given you helps you find your way and we want to talk to you personally too we do but before we do that I I want all of us to pray together and I want everyone in this room including those that lifted their hands I want all of us uh, to pray this prayer together would you just follow me dear Jesus come into my life today Fill me with your resurrected life. Today I confess with my mouth and I I believe in my heart that you are my Lord and Savior. Forgive me of my sins. I receive the gift of eternal life. And I know you are always on time. You have risen. In Jesus' name, amen. Would you applaud the salvation of the Lord? Would you do that? Amen. 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 For, for those that received Jesus today, thank you. We are so excited. For- thank you for listening. Please let us know if you have questions or would like us to pray with you. You can contact the church office most weekdays at 503-266-4444 and anytime through canbyfoursquare.com.